0: Chapter forty four of the old curiosity shop. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Mill Nicholson. The old curiosity shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty four. The throng of people hurried by, in two opposite streams, with no symptom of cessation or exhaustion, intent upon their own affairs, and undisturbed in their business speculations by the roar of carts and wagons laden with clashing wares, the slipping of horses' feet upon the wet and greasy pavement, the rattling of the rain on windows and umbrella-tops, the jostling of the more impatient passengers, and all the noise and tumult of a crowded street in the high tide of its occupation. While the two poor strangers, stunned and bewildered by the hurry they beheld, but had no part in, looked mournfully on, feeling amidst the crowd a solitude which has no parallel but in the thirst of the shipwrecked mariner, who, tossed to and fro upon the billows of a mighty ocean, his red eyes blinded by looking on the water which hems him in on every side, has not one drop to cool his burning tongue. They withdrew into a low archway for shelter from the rain, and watched the faces of those who passed, to find in one among them a ray of encouragement or hope. Some frowned some smiled, some muttered to themselves, some made slight gestures, as if anticipating the conversation in which they would shortly be engaged, some wore the cunning look of bargaining and plotting, some were anxious and eager, some slow and dull, in some countenances were written gain, in others loss. It was like being in the confidence of all these people to stand quietly there, looking into their faces as they flitted past in busy places where each man has an object of his own and feels assured that every other man has his his character and purpose are written broadly in his face in the public walks and lounges of a town people go to see and to be seen and there the same expression with little variety is repeated a hundred times the working-day faces come nearer to the truth and let it out more plainly Falling into that kind of abstraction which such a solitude awakens, the child continued to gaze upon the passing crowd with a wondering interest, amounting almost to a temporary forgetfulness of her own condition. But cold, wet, hunger, want of rest, and lack of any place in which to lay her aching head, soon brought her thoughts back to the point whence they had strayed. No one passed who seemed to notice them, or to whom she durst appeal. After some time, they left their place of refuge from the weather, and mingled with the concourse. Evening came on. They were still wandering up and down, with fewer people about them, but with the same sense of solitude in their own breasts, and the same indifference from all around. The lights in the streets and shops made them feel yet more desolate, for with their help, night and darkness seemed to come on faster. Shivering with the cold and damp, ill in body, and sick to death at heart, the child needed her utmost firmness and resolution even to creep along. Why had they ever come to this noisy town, when there were peaceful country-places, in which at least they might have hungered and thirsted with less suffering than in its squalid strife? They were but an atom, here in a mountain heap of misery, the very sight of which increased their hopelessness and suffering. The child had not only to endure the accumulated hardships of their destitute condition, but to bear the reproaches of her grandfather, who began to murmur at having been led away from their late abode, and demand that they should return to it. Being now penniless, and no relief or prospect of relief appearing, they retraced their steps through the deserted streets, and went back to the wharf, hoping to find the boat in which they had come, and be allowed to sleep on board that night. But here again they were disappointed for the gate was closed, and some fierce dogs, barking at their approach, obliged them to retreat. "'We must sleep in the open air to-night, dear,' said the child, in a weak voice, as they turned away from this last repulse. "'And to-morrow we will beg our way to some quiet part of the country, and, and try to earn our bread, in very humble work.' "'Why did you bring me here?' "'returned the old man fiercely. "'I cannot bear these close, eternal streets. "'We came from a quiet part. "'Why did you force me to leave it?' "'Because I must have that dream I told you of no more,' "'said the child, with a momentary firmness "'that lost itself in tears. "'And we must live among poor people, "'or it will come again. "'Dear Grandfather,' You are old and weak, I know, but look at me. I never will complain, if you will not. But I have some suffering, indeed. Ah, poor, houseless, wandering, motherless child! cried the old man, clasping his hands and gazing, as if for the first time, upon her anxious face, her travel-stained dress, and bruised and swollen feet, "'Has all my agony of care brought her to this at last? "'Was I a happy man once, and have I lost happiness and all I had for this?' "'If we were in the country now,' said the child, with assumed cheerfulness, "'as they walked on looking about them for a shelter, "'we should find some good old tree, stretching out his green arms as if he loved us.' "'and nodding and rustling, as if he would have us fall asleep, "'thinking of him while he watched. "'Please, God, we shall be there soon, "'to-morrow or, or next day at the Father's, "'and in the meantime let us think, dear, "'that it was a good thing we came here, "'for we are lost in the crowd and hurry of this place, "'and if any cruel people should pursue us, "'they could surely never trace us further. "'There's comfort in that.' "'And here's a deep old doorway, very dark, but quite dry, and warm, too, for the wind don't blow in here. "'What's that?' Uttering a half-shriek, she recoiled from a black figure which came suddenly out of the dark recess in which they were about to take refuge, and stood still, looking at them. "'Speak again,' it said. "'Do I know the voice?' "'No.' replied the child, timidly. "'We are strangers, and having no money for a night's lodging, we're going to rest here.' There was a feeble lamp at no great distance, the only one in the place, which was a kind of square yard, but sufficient to show how poor and mean it was. To this the figure beckoned them, at the same time drawing within its rays, as if to show that it had no desire to conceal itself, or take them at an advantage.' The form was that of a man, miserably clad and begrimed with smoke, which, perhaps by its contrast, with the natural colour of his skin, made him look paler than he really was. That he was naturally of a very wan and pallid aspect, however, his hollow cheeks, sharp features, and sunken eyes, no less than a certain look of patient endurance, sufficiently testified. His voice was harsh by nature, but not brutal. And though his face, besides possessing the characteristics already mentioned, was overshadowed by a quantity of long, dark hair, its expression was neither ferocious nor bad.
1: "'How came you to think of resting there?'
0: he said. "'Or how?' he added, looking more attentively at the child. "'Do you come to want a place of rest at this time of night?' "'Ah, misfortunes,' the grandfather answered, "'are the cause.' "'Do you know,' said the man, looking still more earnestly at Nell, "'how wet she is, and that the damp streets are not a
1: place for her.'
0: "'I know it well, God help me,' he replied. "'What can I do?' The man looked at Nell again, and gently touched her garments from which the rain was running off in little streams. "'I can give you warmth,' he said, after a pause. "'Nothing else?
1: "'Such lodgings as I have
0: is in that house,' pointing to the doorway, from which he had emerged. "'But she is safer and better there than here. "'The fire
1: is in a rough place, but you can pass a night beside it safely, if you trust yourselves to me.'
0: YOU SEE THAT
1: RED LIGHT YONDER?'
0: They raised their eyes, and saw a lurid glare hanging in the dark sky, the dull reflection of some distant fire. "'It's not far,' said the man. "'Shall I take you there?
1: You are going to sleep upon cold bricks. I can give you a bed of warm ashes. Nothing better.'
0: Without waiting for any further reply than he saw in their looks, he took Nell in his arms, and bade the old man follow. Carrying her as tenderly, and as easily, too, as if she had been an infant, and showing himself both swift and sure of foot, he led the way through what appeared to be the poorest and most wretched quarter of the town. And turning aside to avoid the overflowing kennels or running water-spouts, but holding his course, regardless of such obstructions, and making his way straight through them. They had proceeded thus, in silence, for some quarter of an hour, and had lost sight of the glare to which he had pointed, in the dark and narrow ways by which they had come, when it suddenly burst upon them again, streaming up from the high chimney of a building close before them. "'This is the place,' he said, pausing at a door, to put Nell down and take her hand. "'Don't be afraid.' "'There's nobody here will harm
1: you.'
0: It needed a strong confidence in this assurance to induce them to enter, and what they saw inside did not diminish their apprehension and alarm. In a large and lofty building, supported by pillars of iron, with great black apertures in the upper walls open to the external air, echoing to the roof with the beating of hammers and roar of furnaces, mingled with the hissing of red-hot metal plunged in water, and a hundred strange unearthly noises never heard elsewhere, in this gloomy place, moving like demons among the flames and smoke, dimly and fitfully seen, flushed and tormented by the burning fires, and wielding great weapons, a faulty blow from any one of which must have crushed some workman's skull, A number of men laboured like giants. Others reposing upon heaps of coals or ashes, with their faces turned to the black vault above, slept or rested from their toil. Others again, opening the white-hot furnace doors, cast fuel on the flames, which came rushing and roaring forth to meet it, and licked it up like oil. Others drew forth, with clashing noise, upon the ground, great sheets of glowing steel, emitting an insupportable heat, and a dull, deep light, like that which reddens in the eyes of savage beasts. Through these bewildering sights and deafening sounds, their conductor led them to where, in a dark portion of the building, one furnace burnt by night and day. So at least they gathered from the motion of his lips, for as yet they could only see him speak, not hear him. The man who had been watching this fire, and whose task was ended for the present, gladly withdrew, and left them with their friend, who, spreading Nell's little cloak upon a heap of ashes, and showing her where she could hang her outer clothes to dry, signed to her and the old man to lie down and sleep. For himself he took his station on a rugged mat before the furnace-door, and, resting his chin upon his hands, watched the flame as it shone through the iron chinks and the white ashes— as they fell into their bright-hot grave below. The warmth of her bed, hard and humble as it was, combined with the great fatigue she had undergone, soon caused the tumult of the place to fall with a gentler sound upon the child's tired ears, and was not long in lulling her to sleep. The old man was stretched beside her, and with her hand upon his neck, she lay and dreamed. It was yet night when she awoke, nor did she know how long, or for how short a time she had slept, but she found herself protected both from any cold air that might find its way into the building, and from the scorching heat by some of the workmen's clothes, and, glancing at their friend, saw that he sat in exactly the same attitude, looking with a fixed earnestness of attention towards the fire, and keeping so very still that he did not even seem to breathe. She lay in the state between sleeping and waking looking so long at his motionless figure, that at length she almost feared he had died as he sat there, and softly rising, and drawing close to him, ventured to whisper in his ear. He moved, and glancing from her to the place she had lately occupied, as if to assure himself that it was really the child so near him, looked inquiringly into her face. "'I feared you were ill,' she said, THE OTHER MEN ARE ALL IN MOTION, AND YOU ARE SO VERY QUIET.'
1: "'They leave me to myself,' he replied. "'They know my humour. They laugh at me, but don't harm me in it. See yonder there. That's my friend.' "'The fire,' said the child, "'it has been alive as long as I have,' the man made answer. "'We talk, and think together, all night
0: long.' The child glanced quickly at him in her surprise, but he had turned his eyes in their former direction, and was musing as before. "'It's like a book
1: to me,' he said. "'The only book I ever learned to read, and many an old story it tells me. It's music.' "'for I should know its voice among a thousand, "'and there are other voices in its roar. "'It has its pictures, too. "'You don't know how many strange faces "'and different scenes I trace in the red-hot coals. "'It's
0: my memory, that fire, "'and shows me all my life.' "'The child, bending down to listen to his words, could not help remarking with what brightened eyes he continued to speak and muse.
1: "'Yes,'
0: he said, with a faint smile, "'it was the
1: same when I was quite a baby, and crawled about it till I fell asleep. My father watched it then.' "'Had you no mother?'
0: asked the child.
1: "'No, she was dead.' "'Women work hard in these parts. "'She worked herself to death, they told me. "'And, as they said so then, "'the fire has gone on saying the same thing ever since. "'I suppose it was true. "'I have always believed it.' "'Were you brought up here, then?' said the child. "'Summer and winter.' he replied, secretly at first, but when they found it out, they let him keep me here. So the fire nursed me, the same fire. It has never gone out. You are fond of it, said the child. Of course I am. He died before it. I saw him fall down, just there, where those ashes are burning now, and wondered, I remember, why it didn't help him. "'Have you been here ever since?' asked the child. "'Ever since I came to watch it. But there was a while between, and a very cold, dreary while it was. It burnt all the time, though. And roared and leaped when I came back as it used to do in our play-days. You may guess from looking at me what kind of child I was, but for all the difference between us I was a child, and when I saw you in the street and height, you put me in mind of myself as i was after he died and made me wish to bring you to the fire i thought of those old times again when i saw you sleeping by it you should be sleeping now lie down again poor child lie down again
0: with that he led her to her rude couch and covering her with the clothes with which she had found herself enveloped when she woke, returned to his seat, whence he moved no more unless to feed the furnace, but remained motionless as a statue. The child continued to watch him for a little time, but soon yielded to the drowsiness that came upon her, and, in the dark strange place and on the heap of ashes, slept as peacefully as if the room had been a palace chamber, and the bed a bed of down. When she awoke again, broad day was shining through the lofty openings in the walls, and stealing in slanting rays, but midway down, seemed to make the building darker than it had been at night. The clang and tumult were still going on, and the remorseless fires were burning fiercely as before, for few changes of night and day brought rest or quiet there. Her friend parted his breakfast, a scanty mess of coffee and some coarse bread, with the child and her grandfather and inquired whither they were going. She told him that they sought some distant country place, remote from towns or even other villages, and with a faltering tongue inquired what road they would do best to take. "'I know little of the country,' he said, shaking his head, "'for
1: such as I pass all our lives before our furnace-doors, and seldom go forth to breathe.' But there are such places yonder and far from here said nell i surely how could they be near us and be green and fresh the road lies too through miles and miles all lighted up by fires like ours a strange black road and one that would frighten
0: you by night
1: we are here "'And we must go on,'
0: said the child boldly, for she saw that the old man listened with anxious ears to this account.
1: "'Rough people! Paths never made for little feet like yours, a dismal, blighted way. Is there no turning back, my child?'
0: "'There is none,' cried Nell, pressing forward. "'If you can direct us, do. If not, pray do not seek to turn us from our purpose.' "'Indeed, you do not know the danger that we shun, "'and how right and true we are in flying from it, "'or you would not try to stop us. "'I am sure you would not.' "'God forbid, if it is so,' said their uncouth protector, "'glancing from the eager child to her grandfather, "'who hung his head and bent his eyes upon the ground. "'I'll
1: direct you
0: from the door the best I can. "'I wish I could do more.' He showed them then by which road they must leave the town, and what course they should hold when they had gained it. He lingered so long on these instructions, that the child, with a fervent blessing, tore herself away, and stayed to hear no more. But before they had reached the corner of the lane, the man came running after them, and, pressing her hand, left something in it—two old, battered, smoke-encrusted penny pieces— Who knows but they shone as brightly in the eyes of angels, as golden gifts that have been chronicled on tombs? And thus they separated, the child to lead her sacred charge farther from guilt and shame, the labourer to attach a fresh interest to the spot where his guests had slept, and read new histories in his furnace-fire. End of chapter 44